happy Palm Sunday. You have amazing leadership. Really good. You know, uh, God gives men authority. He gives women power. And uh, bad leaders use power to overpower, but good leaders use power to empower. And uh, you, have a, you have an empowering shepherd. Also, a very hospitable uh, church. There's a spirit of hospitality on this church. The word hospitality in the Greek, uh, the word is philozenos. It's actually an oxymoronic term. It's two words that contradict each other. The word philo means a brother or brotherly love. And the word zenos means a perfect stranger. And hospitality means to treat the perfect stranger like a beloved brother. And uh, that's this church. This is a hospitable place. Amen? That comes right from the top. Pastor Justin, his wife Eve, God has truly gifted this body with some good, good leadership. Can we just give it up for them one more time? Um, I do represent a ministry known as Unmuted. The vision statement of Unmuted is to give victims of trauma their voices back. Um, I work with addicts in recovery across the country. Um, I work with inmates. Uh, currently, I see on a regular basis, I'm sure you know the name, uh, David Berkowitz, the son of Sam. Uh, he's someone that I, I meet with regularly, and we're working on his story. He gave his life to Christ in 1988. Um, so you can expect, maybe if I see you next year, we'll have a book out next year on his life. Um, I do have a few books available today for sale. Um, I have a devotion to anyone struggling with any kind of mental health issue, whether it's depression or anxiety, uh, personality disorders, OCD. It's called Dr. Jesus. Um, also, I have a, uh, yesterday's workshop, a, a book in a workbook known as Pen Your Pain into Parables, all about recovering from trauma. And then lastly is a book for anyone that has escaped or is in right now a toxic relationship that the Bible calls an unequal yoke. It's called the ox in the ass. So you can see me afterwards. Um, I honestly I did not anticipate how many books would be sold yesterday after the seminar. We do have uh, a decent handful left, but if we do run out, I don't think we will. I think we'll be okay, but if we do run out, I will mail you tomorrow um, whatever it is that you ordered today, but I would get to the table afterwards pretty quickly. I do want to talk to you this morning a message on breaking free from controlling spirits. Now, I, I read in my Bible that on Palm Sunday, Matthew 21, Jesus instructed his disciples to untie a colt because he had use for that colt. And I believe this morning that God's going to untie some people in this place because he has use for you. Amen? He has use for you. But I do want to bring you to uh, Exodus chapter 5. I want to talk to you about a man named Pharaoh. Pharaoh is any controlling person, place, or thing in your life. A controlling spirit. Anything that would hold your will hostage. Let nothing master you but the master. It is for freedom that Christ has set you free. It's for freedom. Father, bless this word. Anoint my lips. Untie every colt in this sanctuary. Lord, you have use of us. Set your people free today. Satan, let my people go. Set us free from every controlling person, place, and thing in our life free, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand with me for the reading of God's word? Exodus chapter 5. Moses and Aaron approach Pharaoh. They tell Pharaoh, let God's people go. They want to go to church. It's a very simple request. He's just saying, let them go to church. Let them meet. Let them have a festival in the name of Yahweh. And Pharaoh being the controlling person he is, he says, who is this Lord that I shall obey him and let Israel go? I don't know this Lord and I will not let the people go. The God of the Hebrews has met with us, says Moses. Now let us take a three-day journey into the wilderness to offer sacrifice to the Lord 
that he may not strike us with plagues or with sword. But the king said, Moses and Aaron, why are you taking the people from their work? Get back to the labor. The people of the land are numerous, and you are stopping them from working. Pharaoh gave this order to the slave drivers. He said, you are no longer to supply the people with straw. Let them go and gather their own straw. They'll carry the bricks without the straw. Require them to make the same number of bricks before, for this people is a lazy people. Father, just bless this word again. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You may be seated. Somebody say, let my people go. Some lights. <laughs> Hallelujah. Once upon a time, this married couple, they both die maybe a few hours apart. They're married about 40 years. And when they enter the pearly gates of heaven, the archangel Michael stands up. And he says, right now I want all the men to form two lines. He says, all the men who wore the pants in their families stand to my left. All the men whose wives wore the pants in my family and the families stand to my right. Husband and wife, they walk through the gates. The man looks at both lines. He stands to the angel's left. The angel approaches him. He says, excuse me, sir. He says, I, I've been watching you. For 40 years. He goes, you and I both know that you don't belong in this line. That you belong in that line. He said, why are you standing in this line? He said, because my wife told me to stand here. <laughs> I'm talking about Pharaoh this morning, but I'm also talking about Pharaoh. Because there's just as many Pharaohs as there are pharaohs. Amen? Amen? Now, in the book of Exodus chapter 5, the people of Israel have found themselves in a very familiar situation. In fact, all through the Old Testament, they are set free from one captivity only to enter another captivity. It's as if they become more comfortable in captivity, they become more acclimated to living under tyranny than they have in living in liberty. Now, I believe that they have forgotten their worth. Now, you may ask the question, what is it that determines worth? I once asked my aunt who was trying to sell my westerly home not far from the beach in Rhode Island, I said, what is the house worth? She said, the house is worth whatever someone is willing to pay for it. Palm Sunday reminds us that you and I, we have a very high worth because Jesus paid a very high price. He was willing to pay a high price, and because he paid a high price, there is a high worth and a high value on your life. But when you and I, when we forget our worth, when we forget who we are, and we forget whose we are, we become susceptible to captivity. We lose the ability to stand firm. When Paul is talking to the church of Galatia, he is speaking of a group of people known as the Judaizers. They were a very controlling group of people. Their agenda was to circumcise all believers. And when Paul speaks to the church of Galatia, he says it's for freedom that Christ has set you free. He doesn't say be kind. He says stand firm. There's a time to be kind, but then there is a time to be firm. There is a time to know your worth. There is a time to know who you are and to know whose you are. That if anyone would try to put a yoke on you that is not of Jesus Christ, your job is to stand firm. 
Let nothing master you but the master. The people of Israel have forgotten who they are. They have forgotten whose they are. And because they have forgotten their master, the Bible says even the ox knows its master. But we can forget our master and we can come under the control of other masters. And God this morning wants to break the grip of Pharaoh and Pharaoh over your life. When you know your worth, you stand firm. When you know your worth, you, you enforce boundaries. I can always tell when a woman or a man knows their worth because they know how to say no. If you go to a junkyard, you'll find that in a junkyard, there are very little security measures. There's very little boundaries. There aren't many fences. There aren't many security guards. But if you walk into a bank, you will find the highest level of security because wherever worth is realized, boundaries are enforced. And some of us see ourselves as junk and others know that we are a bank. And when you are a bank, there is worth. And where there is worth, there is the ability to stand firm. Look at your neighbor and say, I'm a bank, not a junkyard. I preached that at the last church. The pastor's wife looked at her husband, and she says, I'm a bank. Make the deposit. <laughs> so if you're married, look at your husband and say, I'm a bank. Make the deposit. <laughs> and she was from Jersey, so she said it with a Jersey accent. Paul Gifford's wife, Gianna. She said, make the deposit. <laughs> When you and I, we forget our worth, we lose the ability to enforce boundaries. The very etymology of the word insecurity. There are people in here this morning, God wants to set you free from insecurity. The prefix in means without. The word security means boundaries. People that are insecure are people that are without boundaries. I know you're secure. I know you know your worth. When you stand firm and you don't allow any Pharaoh or Pharaoh to take control of your life. It's for freedom that Christ has set you free. Being a PhD in behavioral science, spent a lot of time studying criminology, victimology. FBI have interviewed countless serial offenders over the last few decades. They've asked serial offenders what was their common modus operandi in selecting their victims. And one of the most common MOs in all of their interviews is a serial offender would approach a woman in a parking lot and offer her a piece of gum. If she said no, he would offer it a second time. If she said, I said no, then he would leave. But if she took it at that second time, it means she goes along to get along, and it means she's an easy mark and there are people in this place this morning that you're going along to get along. And God is saying it is time to stand firm and to say, let my people go. There's a time to be kind, but there's a time to be firm. You don't got to be cruel to be firm. You don't got to be arrogant to be firm. You don't got to be vicious to be firm. You can say no in the same kind voice in which you say yes. Let's practice it. No, thank you. No, thank you. You don't got to be cruel to be tough. God wants his people to be tough. He wants his people to enforce a boundary that nothing would take control of your life, that nothing would master you but the master he is untying some colts in this sanctuary because he has use for your life. Hallelujah. I believe God's setting some people. I feel something today. I had a completely different message prepared for this morning. The Holy Spirit is bringing remembrance to something. I haven't looked at a note, a sermon note in 18 years because the Holy Spirit leads and he guides 
and he brings remembrance, and he's setting people free this morning. He's bringing remembrance to who you are. He's bringing remembrance to whose you are. He's reminding you of your worth, that you are not a junkyard. You are a bank. You are worth protecting. You are worth guarding. I pray this morning that you would go back to the promised land, go back to the place that he gave you. The inheritance is yours. I pray today that you wouldn't be so comfortable in captivity, but you would be comfortable in liberty. You are not a slave. You are a son. You are not a slave. You are a daughter. You are a daughter and a son of God. He created you to be free. He's your only Lord. And he's not a Lord to overpower. He is a Lord to empower. He empowers you. Good leadership will never overpower. Good leadership will always empower. Good leadership will never take away your will. It will never manipulate. It will motivate, but it won't manipulate. It will empower, but it won't overpower. How many thank God for the shepherds in this place that empower us, that motivate us? The Apostle Paul, he demonstrates true leadership. It's the opposite of Pharaoh's tyranny. He says to Philemon, he says, I'm asking that you do me this favor, that you take in a runaway slave named Onesimus. He says, I ask that you do this not because I've coerced you to do it, but because you've chosen to do it. Good leadership will never take away your will. It'll never beat you down. It'll build you up. It'll never ma manipulate you. It'll motivate you. It'll bring out the very best in you. How many thank God for shepherds that are building you up and not beating you up? You get built up when you come to this church and not beat up? He sets you free. The good leadership recognizes that you are a free agent. That you don't, God doesn't grab your will. You give your will. The Bible says, offer yourselves. He is a gentleman. He doesn't take from you. Men may have taken from you. Your boyfriend right now may be taken from you. The Jezebel in your life may be taken from you. But God is not in the business of grabbing. He is in the business of giving. He waits for you to lay your will down. Tyranny, not captivity, but liberty, that we are free. We're free. He's a good master, isn't he? He's a good Lord, isn't he? He's not like Pharaoh. He doesn't beat us down. He builds us up. Hallelujah. Somebody's getting free this morning. Somebody's getting free from a controlling relationship. Somebody's getting free from a Jezebel in your life. Somebody's getting free from someone that has been beating you down for a very long time. I pray today, let my people go. Let my people go. I pray this morning that if you're an ox and you're waiting for a companion that would come in your life, you would wait for someone that would build you up. You wouldn't just settle for anyone. God has someone for you. I believe there's someone here that's single and you're waiting. Listen, I waited for the right woman. I thank God he sent me someone that builds me up and she doesn't beat me up. Amen. The only reason why I don't have a ring on my finger is she got me a white gold ring and she didn't know I was allergic and I broke out with an allergy. <laughs> so she's in the process of taking that ring and exchanging it. But I thank God for a woman that builds me up instead of beating me up. I don't know who you are, but you're single. You're waiting for the right mate. Don't, God has not called you to be controlled by anyone. I, I wrote a book called The Ox and the Ass. Deuteronomy 22 speaks of this unequal yoke that says, Farmers, do not yoke the neck of an ox with an ass because an ox is a hardworking animal. The ox is the picture of the saint. The ox is the picture of the believer who is industrious, who is selfless, who is sacrificial. An ox can carry several times its body weight, but an ass can only carry 20% of its weight. And you've got to be careful when you are yoking with people that don't carry their own weight, people that will drag you down, 
people that will control you. God is saying you are an ox. Do not mate with an ass. Somebody say, I'm all done with the asses. Too many asses. God may give you some asses to minister to, but he did not give you asses to get in bed with. When you get into a relationship with someone, you would to yoke with someone who is at your level. Two is better than one. They should make you better. Better emotionally, better spiritually, better financially. God has not called you to mate with asses. You know what happens when you yoke an ox with an ass? The ox is carrying this dead weight, not just the burden on top of them, but the dead weight on side of them. And when the, the ox is trying to go forward, the ox can't go forward. He just keeps going in circles. And there are people in here, you're in relationships, and you just keep going in circles. You keep arguing over the same things. You're not making any progress, and God wants to break that grip over your life. I hope I'm helping somebody in here this morning. Now, I, I want to I give you a little expose of how Pharaoh works. Because you and I, we, we, we perish for a lack of understanding. If all thy getting, get understanding. Your enemy has a strategy. Pharaoh has a strategy to keep the people in bondage. To keep the people depending on him. And the very first tactic that Pharaoh uses, and I, I, I pray this morning the Holy Spirit would put Pharaoh's playbook on blast, that this would be an expose of all of the enemy's schemes and maneuvers, because he is a nocturnal creature, his authority is only as great as your ignorance, his dominion is only as effective as your oblivion, so when you come out of that oblivion, we are children of the light. He can't fight in the light. I pray this morning that the Holy Spirit would turn the light on and that you would see, you would see what unveiled faces, what the enemy is trying to do it, and you would not be ignorant of his schemes. First thing he does is he divides you. Pharaoh says, no, they can't meet with God and they can't meet with each other. He divides you. A controlling spirit is anything in your life that puts a wedge between you and your system of support, that puts a wedge between you and God, that puts a wedge between you and the people of God. Pharaoh is trying to divide you. He wants you isolated because he knows that you and I, we don't function well when we are alone. Don't tell me that all you need is God. Adam had all the gods that a man could possibly have. And in Genesis chapter 2, I don't know what Adam was doing, but his behaviors were so bizarre, they were so strange, that God said, it ain't good for him to be alone. I don't know if he was injecting earthworms in his ear. I don't know if he's playing with his feces, if he was talking to himself. I don't know if he's trying to put his toes in his nose. But God said, it ain't good. For him to be alone. All I need is Jesus and prayer and fasting. Adam had all the prayer and all the presence and all the Shekinah glory that any person could have. And God said worship is not enough. He needs some fellowship. I don't know who I'm talking to right now. You've been away from church for a long time. You think you can do church at home. And Pharaoh's trying to divide you from the body of Christ, you and I, we need not just worship, we need fellowship. We are social beings. We need community so desperately that if we were abandoned to an island alone with no one to talk to, we would take a volleyball, paint a face on it, and we would call it Wilson. He created us for socializing. He created us for koi near. It's not just worship, it's fellowship. You and I, we need each other. There is a power that happens collectively that could never happen privately. We need the assembling together. 
There's a power together. Pharaoh knows that there's a power when the people get together. He knows that there is a power that is unstoppable when the people are worshiping and when the people are fellowshipping. If you study light optics, you can find out that there's just as many photons in a spotlight as there is in a laser beam, yet a spotlight is only powerful enough to illuminate, but a laser beam is powerful enough to penetrate. They both have the same amount of photons. The difference in the spotlight, the photons will scatter, but in a laser beam, the photons will gather, and when the people of God are gathering and we are in one accord, there is a power. The enemy wants to divide. He wants to cut you off from your pastor. He wants to put people that plant seeds of mistrust towards your, your fellowship, towards the people you call the brethren. He wants to wedge you in. Pharaoh says, don't let them gather. God created you for fellowship, not just worship. He created you for connecting with other people. There's a power. There's a power to overcome certain vices in your life that you will never find that power alone, but you will find that power when you come together. When the photons gather into one accord, there is a greater authority in that fellowship than there is in your lonesomeness. There's a gland that sits under your brain. It's called the pituitary gland. It's the master gland of your body. It keeps the organs healthy. It gives you good sleep at night. One of the things that activates the pituitary gland is physical touch. You and I, we need touch. And when we lose touch, we're out of touch. Emotionally out of touch. Psychologically out of touch. Theologically out of touch. Talk to anyone that's been outside of church too long and they believe some strange doctrines because when you lose touch, you're out of touch. Pharaoh wants to divide, wants to scatter, wants the people alone. Renee Spritzer, who was an Austrian psychologist, investigated an orphanage in South America in the 1950s. And Renee Spritzer, when he went there, he was particularly interested in this orphanage because the caretakers were too busy to hold and to cradle the babies. So the babies were never touched. Over the course of time, they developed a condition known as dwarfism, which means they didn't develop properly. They were dwarfed because the pituitary gland is what causes you to grow. And without touch, it's not active and you're not growing. And there are spiritual dwarfs in the body of Christ and they're trying to grow, and they're trying to grow through a television, and they're trying to grow through live stream, but they're dwarfed in their development because they're not in fellowship. The enemy knows that you and I, we find safety in the counsel of many. When we are unsafe outside that counsel. We are unsafe. There is safety in the counsel of many. God did not come to save a person. He came to save a people. And if you and I are going to experience the salvation and all of its promises, we got to get with the people. Pharaoh wants to divide. People can't meet. They can't meet with God and they can't meet with each other. Every man left to himself to work. How many have seen the enemy in the last couple of years try to isolate us? Try to put up walls. Anything that undermines your unity compromises your power. Anything that would attack the unity in this church is compromising its effectiveness. I prophesy over this church a laser beam and not a spotlight. I prophesy a power that is greater together than a power that's found alone. I hope I'm helping somebody here. And I know we get so distracted in our head about who's in charge and the hierarchies and wanting to make sure that we're not being taken advantage of or being controlled. But, you know, good leadership, you know what it does? It does just what this man does right here. It does what Paul did with the early church. Good leaders don't just produce followers. Good leaders produce leaders. 
Authority is given to be given. Jesus said, all authority was given to me. Then he said to his disciples, I give you authority. Power is given to be given. If you study the relationship between your feet, you got a lead foot, and the lead foot always leads the way, but then it gets out of the way. And then it leads the way, and then it gets out of the way. It leads the way, and then it gets out. Good leaders don't produce followers. They produce other leaders. And I see this church not staggering forward, not limping forward. You stay behind me. You stay behind me. I see a church marching forward. Because its leadership has been given authority to give authority. This body's going forward. This church is advancing onward. And any divisive spirit in this place that would try to bring discord, that would try to bring disunity, I pray, I pray, I pray, I pray, from this day forward, let my people go. Hallelujah. You're questioning whether this is the right church for you. I'm here to tell you that God's going to show you that right now in this service. And if you don't belong here, you can't stay. And if you belong here, you can't leave. Because God has called you to this place. Pharaoh divides. He divides. Pay attention to anything in your life that's causing division. Any person putting wedges. Pharaoh divides. Any substance that's taking away all your passion and all your energy, holding hostage your will. Pharaoh divides anything in your life. Second thing Pharaoh does, he doesn't just divide, but he also deprives. He says, the people will carry bricks, and they'll do it without straw. They'll find their own straw. I'm not giving them any straw. Now, when Pharaoh's withholding straw, he's not withholding some luxury, some high-end amenity. He is withholding a necessity. The enemy will deprive you of necessities. Any controlling spirit in your life is withholding from you the very necessities you need to survive. When the brick comes out of the oven and the brick is hot, it crumbles. You need to tie it up. You need to bundle it up with some straw. If you don't have any straw, then you can't carry the brick. And in a concentration camp, if you can't get your job done, it means your life. So the straw is not an amenity. It is a necessity. And any controlling spirit in your life is withholding from you the very necessities you need to survive. You're dating somebody and they don't give you any affection? Affection is a necessity. That pituitary gland, we're not healthy. We're not right when there's no affection. We need affection. You and I, we need it. We need it. Silent treatment, mind games, cold shoulder, stonewalling, not of God. Paul says to ladies, he says, women, don't withhold yourselves. Don't play games with men. Don't do this because we don't function well. These controlling relationships, they withhold from you the very necessities that you need to survive. We need encouragement. The word encouragement, the etymology in is to infuse courage. My fears are great, so my courage must be great. I need some encouragement because I got some fears and I'm never going to overcome the fear without the courage. I'm going to hear encouraged in this church. Be careful for those relationships that are not encouraging you. The substance that's continually discouraging you, taking away your courage. Discourage means to strip from you the very courage you need. Anything that would deprive you of the basic necessities needs to go. I hope I'm helping you right now. You know, when Stalin, the dictator, the awful dictator who we can put Putin probably in the same category when he was leading the people of Russia back in the 50s and he was on his deathbed 
accusing the predecessor. He wanted to illustrate how tyranny works. He asked both his predecessors, they were both standing at the foot of the bed, he asked them both to go outside on his farm and bring him a bird. He told them, if you can control the bird, you can control the nation. They both brought a, they both brought a bird back to the bed. The first man was so liberal, so loose, that the bird flew away. The second man was so aggressive that he killed the bird. Stalin, Stalin said, go get me a bird. I'm going to show you how tyranny works. He took the bird, holding it in his hands. He ripped one feather at a time off its body until the bird was completely stripped naked, standing still in his hands. And he said, and the bird is grateful for even the warmth that comes from my hands. That's control. That's control, the breadcrumbing. Give you just enough. And he's grateful for even the warmth that comes from my hands. Negative reinforcement. Now you may say, why doesn't the bird leave the hand? You'd be surprised how many people stay in some abusive, dysfunctional situations. How could negative reinforcement be incentivizing? It's very incentivizing. I could cite one study after another because in your mind, you're thinking if he took away my feathers, what else will he take away? And it makes you more compliant than it does make you defiant. If you study slavery, there are far fewer Denzel Washingtons in the movie Glory than there were slaves that said, yes, sir, I'll do whatever you say. Tyrant just takes everything away from you to a point where you just you just you're wondering what will he take next? If I if I should if I should resist, if I should uh, put a boundary down, if I should give firm, what else will he take? But you have another master who is greater than Pharaoh. You have a God who is greater than every controlling spirit in your life. He is Lord of Lords. He is King of Kings. That second part of lords and of kings is because we got a lot of lords and a lot of kings. And God is saying, I am Lord of lords and I am king of kings. Isn't it funny how God has a wonderful purpose for our lives, but so does everybody else. <laughs> God has a wonderful purpose for your life. So does everybody else. And if you're not careful, if you don't find God's purpose and you don't choose him, Something will choose you. President Ronald Reagan would tell a story that when he was a little boy, he went to the cobbler. He was 10 years old. And he said when he went to the cobbler, the cobbler said to him, he said, Ronnie, he said, do you want pointed tips or do you want rounded tips? And Ronald Reagan said, I really don't know. I can't make a decision. The cobbler said, I'll give you two weeks. Two weeks go by. Ronnie never comes back to the cobbler. Well, a month goes by. Ronnie shows up to pick up his shoes. One pointed tip, one rounded tip. Cobbler said, let this be a lesson to you, that if you don't make decisions for yourself, someone will make decisions for you. That there are many lords and many kings, there are pharaohs and pharaohs that would love to call all the shots in your life, but the ox knows its owner, and you, you know your master, and let nothing master you but the master. Hallelujah. I hope, I'm, I hope I, somebody today is getting free. Today is your release day. Today. You've been in prison too long. Today is your release day. Your mind has been acclimated to a captivity in which you are not designed. God has called you to be free. Aristotle said some people are only fit to be slaves, but you and I are fit to be sons. We are not called to captivity. We are called to liberty. Hallelujah. So he divides the people. He deprives the people. Lastly, he degrades the people. He says, you're lazy. They might say, how, how, how toxic is that? They, they got to know they're not lazy. I think they told something long ago. Dr. Martin Luther King was asked a very ignorant and arrogant question by a Caucasian journalist back in the 50s journalist who thought that he could stump the wittiness of Dr. King, but he couldn't. 
He said, would you agree that the average Negro, using the language at that time, the average Negro is oversexed, lazy, and all he wants to do is dance. And Dr. King said, that might be true of some, but let me ask you a question. What would you be if for 400 years you were told you were lazy, oversexed, and all you want to do is dance? Because names don't just describe you, names prescribe, they depict, they prophesy because we believe the name and the voice of our captor becomes our own thoughts and how they say it becomes how we see it and they've said some things to you and this morning God is saying, I've spoken a better word. I've spoken a better word over your life. Some of us are seeing it just as they've said it, the people begin to believe that they're lazy. But the truth is, they're carrying bricks without straw. They're carrying stuff that's falling apart. And there are people in this church, your whole life, you've been carrying stuff that's falling apart. When you were a child, you were carrying a household that was falling apart. Teacher calls you stupid. She didn't know you were carrying something that was falling apart. Some of you showing up for church, being faithful, doing all that you can, and the rest of the brethren doesn't know that you are carrying a marriage, you are carrying a prodigal child, you are carrying stuff that's falling apart. Pharaoh's assessment is unjust, and the Pharaohs in your life, their assessment is unjust because they don't judge you according to just your input. They judge you according to just the output. But God sees the input and he sees the output. That's why he says, judge not. Only I can see the struggle. C.S. Lewis said, God will not judge you as if you had no struggle. People don't see the struggle. They don't see how much it costs you to get here this morning. They don't see all the stuff that you're carrying that's falling apart. Here in church, but you're carrying a mind that's falling apart. Carrying a child that's falling apart. Carrying a ministry, dreams, desires that are falling apart. And God is saying, well done, my good and faithful servant. We start to believe the reports of our pharaohs. And how they say it is how we see it. And I believe God, God is trying to speak a better word over you this morning. Because there are things that have been said to you when you were a little child. Things that were said to you. Hallelujah. Somebody's getting free today. Breaking Pharaoh's grip off of your life. Let my people go. Untie every cult in this sanctuary. This church has use for you. This church has need of you. This leadership has need of you. Untie every cult in this sanctuary because there is a purpose for your life. Let my people go. Worship team, could you come forward? Just as soon as you get up, just stop playing. Take us right into the presence of God. Hallelujah. Yes. Loosen. Loosen right now. Loosen. 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 Hallelujah. The tie is the lie. The tie is the lie. Shatter every lie. When he shatters the lie, he's breaking the tie. The tie is the lie. You've been seeing it as they say it, and God is saying, see it as I say it. See it as I say it. Not as your mother said it, not as your spouse says it, not as your child says it. I want you this morning to see it as I say it. Anytime. I, I, I really believe that the height of captivity, you really know you reached the bottom. Instead of saying the height, I should say the bottom. You reached the bottom of captivity. When their words become your thoughts. Self-image is not something you muster up yourself. It comes from the environment. It comes from what's spoken over us. 
And the real bottom of captivity is when their voice becomes your thoughts. You can't even see the difference anymore. You don't know where you end and they begin. Total control. You're believing you're lazy. You're believing you're a failure. You're believing it. You're also wondering, especially if the abuse goes back long enough to early childhood, you're wondering, what's wrong with me? That I was targeted. Why? Why me? Why was I the only altar boy that was molested by the priest? Why, why was I the only girl in the family that was molested by my uncle? Why me? Why was I targeted? Why was I the only girl in the class that had to go home to dysfunction? Why did he target me? What's wrong with me? You know why Pharaoh targeted the people of God? You're going to get free right now. You're going to get free right now. The lie is, is being demolished. And the lie is the tie. That's the thing tying you up is the lie. When I was a little boy, my father was in prison, and my mom had a friend. Her name was Anne Marie, and she was a two-face. I figured that out long before my mother did. My mother kind of saw the world through rose-colored glasses. I knew she was a two-face because every time my mother would leave, she'd turn into a different person, and she would say the most awful things to me. And I, for a while, I couldn't figure out why. Why is she targeting me? When I became a young man, someone told me, they said, do you know that Anne-Marie had a feud with your father? And do you know that you look just like your father? And do you know that Satan has a feud with your father? And do you know that you've been caught in the middle of crossfire? And do you know that you look just like your father? He hates children because children look just like the father. He wants to kill every child. For some of you, Satan has made adults out of you. He's killed the little child in you. Jesus is saying, let the child come to me. Because in that childlikeness and in that Christ-likeness, you look just like your father. And the more you look like your father, the more you get on the nerve of every oppressor and every pharaoh. Your anointing is irritating their demons. Today you're free. You know why Pharaoh hated the people? It's not because they were pathetic. He hated the people because they were great and they showed potential. If you rewind the tape in Exodus 2, it says he saw that this people had promise. He saw the potential. He saw that they were numerous and they were growing. And he saw the relentless struggle in your life. Is the attack on your soul by the one who knows what you can be. And he fears it. He treads it. He sees the promise. He sees the potential. You were targeted not because there's something wrong with you. You were targeted because there's something right with you. Pharaoh wants the people to believe they're pathetic. And you've been believing for too long that you're pathetic. I believe Anne-Marie targeted me because I was pathetic. But then I realized it was because I was prophetic and I had a clear and I could see some things and she was afraid of that clear. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. If you're here and the way they've been saying it is the way you've been seeing it, and you've been under some controlling spirit. It could be anything. It could even be someone that's been dead for a long time. And even from their grave, their ghost is still over you. It's still over you. I want you to come to this altar right now. Today's your release day. I'm praying freedom on you. I'm praying the name of this ministry is unmuted. That God would give you your voice back. He would unmute you. The enemy wants you muted. Hell wants you muted. Hell wants your tongue tied up. God wants to loosen your tongue this morning. Hallelujah. Untie her tongue, Lord. Untie her tongue. Untie her tongue, God. Hallelujah. Untie her tongue. Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Yes, God. Hallelujah. Oh, God. 